right, everybody. Hi, welcome to twitch.tv slash FB Outsiders, Football Outsiders on Twitch, as well as YouTube and podcasts and everywhere else you can hear this show. My name is Aaron Schatz. I'm the editor-in-chief of Football Outsiders, and I would like to welcome you to the show we are now calling Shots and Tenier, Football Outsiders Live. And of course, Mike, uh, changes the pronunciation of his last name weekly. So I thought it was Shots and Tanier. And then he said something <laughs> about it uh, rhyming with Shots and Beers. And so I'm like, okay, so we'll go with Shots and Tanier. That's fine. It's a memory device. It's going to help people remember. This is it. This is how it's going to stick, man. Shots and Beers live. Yes. Doing NFL week three game previews with our man, Brian Knowles, joining us this week. Hello, Brian. Hey there. So I'm, I'm going to hit you guys with something you're totally unprepared for to start with. So yesterday, uh, D- uh, Dove Kleiman, who's an NFL reporter, retweeted something that Nick Wright said on one of those Fox morning shows. I think it's called First Things First. So he said that Belichick letting Brady leave New England was the biggest mistake in NFL history. Oh my now, God. this is the kind of stuff that people say on TV shows, but it got yeah. me thinking about what actually is the biggest mistake in NFL history. And Doug Farrar said not letting black guys play for 12 years. Right. Which right. is true, but that's a different yeah. kind of mistake. <laughs> yes. Right. <laughs> well, I, I came up with first, I came up with absolutely uh, letting Drew Brees sign with New Orleans instead of Miami. Okay was a huge mistake. And then I came up with, I think even bigger than that, when Pittsburgh cut Johnny Unitas. Yeah. 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 Who was a hometown kid and they let him go to another team. That is a bigger mistake with bigger repercussions than letting Tom Brady leave at age 43. Yeah. I'm looking one up, and while I do that, I hope Ryan has one teed up and ready to go. I do, actually. Uh, 1975, Paul Brown was stepping down as coach of the Bengals, and he was telling everyone, do not hire Bill Walsh. Steve is going on yes. the team saying, don't hire this guy. You know, maybe we're talking about the West Coast office as the Ohio offense if they, if they go with Walsh right then. I think that that is a good one, especially because um, the response from Dove Kleiman was, Will you think that Brady is a bigger mistake if he wins two Super Bowls and Breeze only won one? Which, first of all, okay, let's see Brady win two Super Bowls before we say that. And number two, it brings up the interesting question, which would you rather have, two Super Bowls and like four or five years of competitiveness or one Super Bowl but 15 years of competitiveness? Right. But also not hiring Bill Walsh, San Francisco won five Super Bowls. Yeah, worked out for worked out for them quite well. <laughs> so maybe those go to Cincinnati if Cincinnati hires Bill Walsh. So absolutely, I think not hiring Bill Walsh is a bigger mistake than letting Brady leave. The uh, New England Patriots, and maybe they were still the Boston Patriots at this point, had a choice in 1969, and I believe it was between grabbing Chuck Knoll or uh, grabbing a guy by the name of Clive Rush. They chose. Clive Rush, uh, who was the uh, the Jets co- coordinator under Weave Eubank when the Jets were very, very good. Uh, we all know Chuck Knoll went on to uh, lead the steel curtain of four Super Bowls. Clive Rush was like Adam Gase on peyote. Um, I'm almost certain he's the guy who got electrocuted at his opening press conference. 
he would punt on third down because he thought he was confusing opposing coaches with this. So, so that was a really huge mistake there where you could get the coach of the generation. And I believe they were both coordinators on the same team. Maybe, Brian, you remember that. If Noel was a, a UVAC assistant as well. But they grabbed the wrong coordinator. Um, that's one. I would say the Herschel Walker trade also for the Minnesota Vikings was a pretty huge mistake overall. That's really high on the list. Right. Yeah. Uh, Trading all the draft picks for Ricky Williams. That's another one that can fall up in there. Yes, that might yeah. be that might be a bigger mistake. I think if we want to, we can name the couple worst picks, like Jamarcus Ruckel, Russell. Yes. Right. I mean, you can say, you know, based on everything we knew at the time, Jamarcus Russell was a reasonable number one pick. But based on everything we knew at the time, nobody would bet on a 43-year-old quarterback winning the Super Bowl, right. especially with Jacoby Myers and Nikhil Harry as his top receivers. Right. which is what Tom Brady would have had if he had stayed in New England. Like part of the Tom Brady leaving New England talk that people don't talk about is he went to a team that was pretty loaded, except at the quarterback position right. and left a team that was not. And yes. Tom Brady in New England with Nikhil Harry and Jacoby Myers is a very different quarterback than Tom Brady with Mike Evans, Chris Godwin and Antonio Brown. Yeah, this this looked like it was going to be Brett Favre's end of career. Um, you know, it didn't look like it was going to be Peyton Man Manning's end of the career, which was different circumstances where Brady was going to go and have a couple of decent seasons somewhere. That's what it looked like to most of us, right? You know, but but we're not on shows on on daytime shows that have a name with first in. Do they all have first in them now? First take, first things first. Is that is that their? Tradition? I guess that it's it shows that they're on early. Yes. Yes. <laughs> they're going to be on before the game actually starts next time that they're, you know, like, like before the last uh, episode ends, the next one's already started. So speaking of the Patriots, that's the first game I want to preview from yeah. week three. So I picked out five games and if we preview them and we have time, we'll just run through all the other games. But the first game I picked out was new Orleans at new England and in proper Sal Palantonio speak i have to point out this is the most important game of the week because i will be there oh, yes. <laughs> and just in case you think i'm only going to say that about patriots games if all goes well i'm going to kansas city at las vegas in week 10 so yes. it's not just going to be patriots games the saints make the playoffs 62 percent of simulations if they win this game 42 percent if they lose the Patriots make the playoffs 71% of the time if they win, 51% if they lose. And if you ignore the weird way that New Orleans has put its resume together this year with the one huge win and the one huge loss, right. these two teams are basically tied. They're 11th and 12th in DVOA, and they're 10th and 11th in Dave, Dave being our metric that combines DVOA with the preseason projection in order to get a better idea of how good teams are now. Right. So it should be a good, interesting game, especially since we like have no clue what the Saints, like the Patriots have been the same team in two games. Yes. Like the Saints have been completely different teams in two games. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, the, these question, the, the, the question is how much, how much do you write off that last week's game with the Saints? They had nine starters missing. They had eight coaches out with COVID. You, there's certainly a bit of, well, everything kind of hit them all at once. At the same time, though, the other thing that hit them all at once was all of the Panthers' pass rushers. I think Winston was pressured like 
55, 60 percent of, of the time. He had a right. clean pocket back in week one, and then the Panthers just blitzed him all the time, and Winston made Jameis Winston-style decisions. Right. right. And I think the Patriots' pass rush is somewhere in between what Carolina has shown over the first couple of weeks and what Green Bay did. They don't have any one pass rusher who is as good as Brian Banks. They don't even have any one pass rusher who's as good as Darius Smith. But they've got a good overall pass rush, and they're good at manufacturing things by moving guys around, and you're not sure who's coming. Although, as I pointed out yesterday, they didn't really do that much against the Jets. Like, they mostly yeah. sent guys off the edge, and that was who came. It felt like they didn't have to. Got a couple of stats right off of Football Outsiders, a lovely website. Um, right now, yards per drive, New Orleans Saints ranked dead last in the NFL offensively in yards per drive. That's one game against the Packers where they got the ball at the 10-yard line a couple of times, and that's how they got their touchdowns. And one game against the Panthers where they couldn't do anything at all and actually went backwards on a couple of those drives where I think they were ending it on like 4th and 17, 4th and 18. Another one is right now in red zone DVOA, which I looked up today to verify that the Chargers were last in red zone DVOA. No. They're not. <laughs> it turns out the Patriots are last in red zone DVOA. Now, I don't take as much stock in that. First of all, our sample sizes are tiny, obviously, right now. Right. But it looked like the last couple drives against the Jets, you got into field goal range, and, 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 and Belichick and McDaniels were happily like, run, 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 kick. This team is never going to come up on us. Still, they were running for a loss of one there, a gain of one. I don't know what they have if they have to score a lot of touchdowns right now. If they're forced to punch it in, I don't know what if the Patriots. You know, you know if that. only they had some kind of player who was particularly good on the goal line that you could bring in to run <laughs> like power. His aura, though, his aura. Yes. His aura, his aura would have gotten in the way. Um, I, I will say my my thing about this game is I really like the under for ESPN's best bets column. I I wrote up this game and I wrote up the under because. Uh, both teams are top five in DVOA defense. Right. Both are bottom uh, below 20th in offense. And by the way, that's how they were projected before the season. So that's not a surprise. And the Patriots are currently 21st in situation neutral pace and the Saints are 31st. So both of these teams have slowed things down, which suggests, yeah. I think, an under, under 42. The number it's is low. 42 on the over-under. It's real low. It's real low. In fact, I teased it down. I just took this. I'm taking the Saints plus 2.5, same game parlay, and I tease the over down to 38.5. I'm getting plus 220 on that. So that's one of those over-engineered bets, but it's pretty much uh, Saints and the over is what it boils down to. But, like, the, the thing that scares me about the over that low is pick six possibilities on both sides, where you have Jameis Winston and a rookie quarterback. Oh, oh the idea of going an under on an under 42 yeah. is that there's a pick six. Right, right. The, right. All of a sudden, it's field goals and pick sixes and five-yard touchdowns after interceptions. That's what always scares me when, I, when I'm not 100% confident with both quarterbacks. Um, I will say I looked up the Saints so far, and again, two-game sample. Like We're going to keep saying that throughout this whole broadcast. Right. Uh, the Saints are 20th so far against short passes and 7th against deep passes. Hmm. And well, that, against the Patriots, you want to be better against short passes than against deep passes, not the other way around. 
Yeah, I think Mac Jones has a 5.6 average at the target or something in that area, bottom five in the league. It's right. always a good sign when your offensive coordinator, Justin Jones, has to come out and say, oh, no, we trust Mac Jones to throw it deep. Because <laughs> if they did trust them deep, he wouldn't have to come out and say that. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. And I think the Saints can play him a little differently, too. They were in the two-deep shell a lot against Aaron Rodgers. So I don't think you're going to be in a too deep shell out against a team that's going to try and run Damian Harris, who is on the injury list right now with a finger. I'm guessing he's playing. Uh, and, and a young quarterback who wants to throw short to his tight ends. Yeah, I, I, um, I have to admit to not knowing the current injury status of the Saints. So I don't know which of those players that was out last week is coming back right. this week, but I'm assuming some of them are. And yes. – I don't think having like offensive assistance out for a game is really that big a deal, but the coaches will be back too. Yeah. I mean, this is a veteran coaching staff. If you told me like uh, Nick Sirianni's staff was decimated, these guys have only been on the job for a few months. It's different from saying, well, Sean Payton's there, but the quality control assistant isn't. Yeah. I don't think that was that much of a factor. last week. Yeah. Uh, the other thing I'll point out, the Patriots have allowed five different double digit gains to running backs on reception so far. Wow. And that's against uh, – that's the Patriots allowing that to the Jets and to uh, the Dolphins. So those are not exactly great running backs and five different double-digit receptions. So you worry a little bit about Alvin Kamara. Yeah. And I don't know who you got – who who your coverage guy is. It was a, uh, the Bentley kid. Bentley is much more of a run defender than he is a yeah. coverage guy. Okay. Yeah, he can run, but I don't necessarily trust him in coverage in terms of – you know, getting caught in a bind with play action and things like that. I'm looking up Kamara's numbers because wasn't one of the worries coming into this season that Winston would not throw to Kamara as much as Drew Brees did? I think the more I think they were worried that that uh, Taysom Hill wouldn't throw it to him as much as Drew Brees. Oh, you're right. It was the Taysom Hill wouldn't throw it to Kamara. Kamara's got seven catches for 33 and a touchdown as a receiver. Yeah, he didn't do much of anything last game, but the Saints didn't do much of anything last game, so that that explains that. Yeah, it was very much the last game. It was literally, and I haven't gone back and looked at it. I, th- I think I mentioned this yesterday. Like, I can't figure out how it was always third and 17, but it was always third and 17. So Kamara was getting the ball. It was going to be an underneath route that wasn't going to be productive anyway. Yeah, that's not good for your DVOA. Right. <laughs> like, even like even like though the average of a reception on third and 17 is bad, like if you do even worse than that average, it ends up being bad. Mm-hmm. Um. So what do you guys, what would be your pick here? I guess you already said, uh, Mike, I've got it listed as New England minus three, but I guess it's moved to New England minus two and a half at this point. I got it on my favorite uh, legal uh, uh, book at two and a half. And like I said, I'm, I'm in the mood. I was in the mood for some parlays. I want to do some same game parlays. And I, so I, I added in a teased over. I never bet unders, by the way, uh, as, a, as a human rule. Uh, so I teased the over down to 38.5. And took over. So it's Saints plus two and a half and a 38.5 over. I took that at plus 220. I'm taking the Patriots in this one. Uh, I think they're going to keep uh, Winston di- uh, discombobulated with, with uh, pressure and exotic looks and stuff like that. And I think James Winston's going to make a couple James Winston time plays. Yeah. yeah. It's that's a tough one that over. Because I like at plus three, I like the Saints. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But that little bit of move to plus two and a half, I would not want to put my money anywhere near this game, honestly. <laughs> like, I feel like that line is pretty accurate as far as where these teams are. Like, if you think yeah. about it right now, uh, I'm considering in our picks home field advantage to only be about a point. Okay. 
right? Because there's been no home field advantage now for two years, like 2019 right. and 2020, there basically was no home field advantage. 2021 so far, no home field advantage. So we can't assume that home field advantage is the classic three points, right. but I don't know if we can yet assume that it doesn't exist at all or versus the sample size. So I've been thinking of it as one point. So if you think of it as one point, I think the Patriots are probably about a point better than the Saints. You end up with a line of two and that's basically the line you have. So like, I wouldn't want to bet on this. That's why I turned this into an elaborate tease. I didn't love the game overall, but I wanted to put something down in there. So I guess something with a little more juice in it, a little more sizzle. And you'll excuse me. My dog is here. There's thunderstorms. So uh, I'm a little distracted. So the weather, weather in Philly is uh, stormy today. It's beautiful and sunny in uh, Boston, I will say. Good for you. And, it's, yeah, um, it's stormy with a chance of uh, pit bull anxiety attacks. So, uh, yes. Let me, I, I'll also say, just to point out, that the Patriots uh, press box staff uh, eschewing the idea of food that is connected to the away team. I know some teams, like they specifically try to plan food that's connected to who they're playing that week. Mm-hmm. Well, the Patriots were not playing Kansas City, but they put out a barbecue spread in week one. It was Ooh. fantastic. I just have to share that with everyone because it was such it was so gonna, surprisingly good. You're gonna be eating jambalaya. Well, the thing is I'm not because they're not going to it's not going to actually oh, do oh, okay. Uh well do they still do lobster rolls at the playoffs? Uh, in curious. the playoffs, they do lobster rolls, yep. And clam chowder for regular season games that I don't eat clam chowder, but everybody says is fantastic. Ravens do crab cakes. I'm I'm looking forward to Vegas because I don't remember if it was uh, Ross. Uh, what's his name? Tucker. Yes, Ross Tucker is constantly talking about the food in the press box. I think he's the one who tweeted out that Vegas's first home game. They put out this donut spread yes. for dessert. That was unreal. (laughs) Oh my God. I want that so badly. (laughs) That's great. Just when you go to the Meadowlands, be ready for chicken tenders. That's all I have to tell you. I I have yet to go to the Meadowlands. I have not been to MetLife stadium. I I keep thinking I need to do it. It's only like a three hour drive. I could definitely do it on a weekend and uh, I haven't done it yet. The parking is like Foxborough. Oh, you get a pass. I think but even when you get a pass in, in the Meadowlands, they park you in this really bizarre corner somewhere, and the food is not phenomenal. And We're you have to wait. The same thing at Foxborough, depending on what time you go to the game. I mean, even though I get a pass for a media parking lot, you still have mm-hmm. to wait in line with all the people trying to get in. That's why I go really, really early. Brian? We're complaining about going to game, football games and eating for free. That's oh, no complaints. <laughs> I have no complaints. It's the opposite. I just wanted to point out you know, just how fabulous it was in week one. It was excellent. <laughs> and I keep thinking, like, we'll go to MetLife. We'll go together. And a good game to go to would be a playoff game just as soon as the Giants or Jets plays in one. <laughs> I was wondering where you were going with that. What playoff game? What playoff game so will we be Sometime around 2028. Let's go to the pinstripe ball at Yankee Stadium. Let's That'll go to a wild card. We'll go to a wild card game at MetLife Stadium because <laughs> eventually one – I mean, right? We, the funny thing when the NFC East, the league rules insist. We, we talked about – and, Brian, you wrote the chapter in the book. Like, we're positive about the Jets for the future. Like, we right. like Robert Sala. Yeah, we like, like the schemes that they're bringing in. We think that Wilson has promised. So we're sitting here joking about it. But the hope is that the Jets will be better soon. 
yeah, just the, the, the definition of soon is quite variable. That's, that's something we've <laughs> got going on here. The Giants, I think there's a feeling that it's we need to wait. They're going to need the next staff and they're going to need the next quarterback before they start. They're going to have to restart the rebuild. And Yeah, yeah, that's all the case there. But yeah, you're right. The, it's positive about the Jets because we think that they have a good administration, not a good roster. Right. <laughs> At all. All right. Speaking of barbecue, let's talk about the mm. next game. And this is the biggest game of uh, the one o'clock hour, which is the L.A. Chargers at the Kansas City Chiefs. Now, our numbers for this one, remember that we have the Chargers projected lower than almost anybody else. So when I give you these numbers, keep that in mind. The Chargers make the playoffs 33 percent of the time if they win this game and 14 percent if they lose. And the Chiefs surprises me, too, despite the fact that they're so high in the Dave ratings. 84% of the time with a win, 64% with a loss. The mm. Chiefs really do not want to lose this game. Mm. And I think you're going to see running. Both of these defense are bottom five right now against the run, although Kansas City is also terrible when they run the ball. They're 30th right. running the ball. The Chargers are 14th, but I don't think of the Chargers as having a great running game. They had a terrible running game last year so in a way this is sort of the movable object against the resistible <laughs> force yeah <laughs> yeah and one thing of course i think we're keeping an eye on the chargers 31st second to last in red zone right now had red zone problems against washington on offense and had disasters against the cowboys and some of them were like non-repeatable non-sustainable disasters like an in the grasp penalty yeah. for like 18 yards, et cetera. But they, they are not moving the ball. They are not efficient there. I think the number right now is that the Chiefs are have allowed eight touchdowns on eight red zone trips. DVOA doesn't reflect that it's a very bad situation, mind you, but because sometimes it's like, well, it's eight trips, but the Ravens are running the ball and doing stuff against you, whatever. But the, one thing is it does show us that the uh, Chiefs red zone DVOA on defense is very low. So you're talking about the movable object. If the Chargers can move the ball in the red zone, and they can run the ball in the red zone, they're going to turn this into an absolute shootout and they're going to make life miserable for the Chiefs. Justin Herbert inside the 10 as far as the season is one for seven with Ooh. one touchdown, one interception, and three sacks. Now, one of that sacks was that ridiculous in the grasp call that I, I guess it's 1972 again. And the, uh, <laughs> the other one, and the interception, the guy fell down. So his stats yeah. are worse than he's actually been performing. But still, one for seven is not exactly what you expect from someone who's been throwing 300 yards a game and all this kind of stuff. And two touchdowns called back. One on OPI, which you get it. One illegal shift where that's just, that's Bush League stuff where you haven't lined up properly. So it doesn't reflect on Herbert necessarily, but it just shows that they've got a problem here, a multivariate problem they have to solve. I, I feel like for some reason, I have watched a lot of interceptions this year because the receiver fell down. Hmm. Does it feel like, or is it just that's the games I've watched? It just feels like there are more of those this year than usual. I, th I think I've seen a few, but I've seen more receivers fall. I've seen defenders falling down too. I don't know what we're looking at here. It hasn't been that much weather games yet, but, but right. it might be. I think doesn't throw the ball. I don't see any interceptions. <laughs> <laughs> of course, I say this and I can't, I have a terrible memory for specifics of games. So I can't right. remember like which specific interceptions these are. I just feel like there've been a number of, oh, that's not the quarterback's fault. The receiver fell down. It happened to Lamar Jackson, didn't it? It happened to Lamar Jackson in the Kansas City yeah, I night game where uh, the receiver fell down and he threw it right to Tyron Matthew. I think there was one there. Yeah, no, there was none in the um, 
in uh, Zach Wilson's repertoire yet, but you know he'll get there on that. The uh, the Chargers defense currently twenty eighth against tight ends, small sample hmm. size, but they've allowed eight for nine. 85 yards and a touchdown. And of course, eight for you eight for nine, 85 yards and a touchdown is a bad game for Travis Kelsey. So <laughs> the run defense is not particularly good. I think we talked a little bit with Derek about that yesterday. The Cowboys should be able to run up the but middle off tackle with them with both they of their should runners. Be able to run off on them. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the Chiefs have not been able to run much in the first couple games, but especially because they're going to play the too high to stop Mahomes, and that's what Staley likes to play, and it's especially what you play against Mahomes. Mm-hmm. You should be able to run on the Chargers all day. Also, which we're thinking that both Joey Bosa and Derwin James did not practice yesterday, and those are exactly the kind of guys you you uh, would like to have against Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs. Ooh. That's yeah. bad. Yeah. That's very bad. That's very Chargers yeah. because they're hurt, but it's very bad. Yes, so the uh, the line on this game is Kansas City by six and a half. Hmm. I'm taking it, or I'm leaning it to it. Here's here's a, a play, and it's not as complicated as my last play that I'm considering. Both Chiefs and Chargers to score 25 plus points, plus 150. I like that. Yeah. Yes, yeah, different from the over. It's actually a little lower than the over. You could get like a 26 or 25 or something like that because the over is way up at 55. I'm considering that as well. But the idea that this is going to be a shootout that the Chargers figure out that, oh, why don't we just run up the middle and score, you know, when we when we drive down the field. I like that idea of both teams getting into that kind of shootout at that payout too. Jay Molnar94 says in the chat, Jerry Tillery sucks. The Chargers first round <laughs> pick is probably a defensive lineman next year. Yeah, we talked yesterday about that a little bit. Like Tillery – like even coming out of Notre Dame, like his his sales point was that he was a pass rusher, like a one gap pass rusher. And now they're asking him to play the run and two gap. And he's terrible against the run and he doesn't fit this defensive scheme at all. Yeah. Yeah. And he's been, it's been a couple of years for him in that situation. Yeah. Derek did talk about that a little bit yesterday where you don't necessarily have the personnel to run Staley's scheme just yet because you don't just forget Aaron Donald. You don't even have like the Michael Brockers types of guys that you can get in there and play two gap. Yeah. I, I will say the FO picks like Kansas city minus six and a half. The one thing yeah. that makes me a little hesitant is Kansas city's amazing history of blowing covers. <laughs> like, oh God, is this another one where they're going to let the chargers come back on them and score with like a minute and a half left to make it a three point game. Like, well, yeah, but the Chargers will be penalized for something, and it'll wipe it off the board, so you'll be okay. <laughs> yeah, Illegal shift. Illegal. No, shift. it's it's more. It, I think it would be more Chiefs like it would be more Chargers like for the Chargers to come back within three with a minute and a half left, mm-hmm. and then line up to kick the game-winning field goal and kick it through, only to have a false start, and yeah. then on the second kick miss it. Well, yeah. and you have to giant side up with like them claiming that it wasn't really a false start. And like and like and like dwelling on it for weeks and weeks afterwards. So that there'll be an end of season press conference. And well, you know, we should have been one and zero in that game. So, Bill Houston <laughs> asks, "Do we think the Chiefs' run defense can improve to middle of the pack?" I don't because I don't think they care. Right. <laughs> I think their feeling is, "Look, we want to stop the pass. We're going to take a big lead on you, so you're going to have to stop running anyway." And if you want to run on us, 
the thing is they can't keep allowing like six yards of carry, but if they're right. allowing like four and a half or five yards of carry that they're, they'll be fine with that. Cause they'll get enough run stops to prevent first down. And then they'll go out there and Mahomes will throw it 95 yeah. yards on a drive and they'll score. Remember the so Ravens I, had all over them and they needed a fumble on like uh, on the clinching drive and a fourth down conversion to actually lose that game. They're, they're fine. They don't care about their run defense. Yep. Right. Yep. I, yeah, I don't think they're going to improve it to middle of the pack. Oh, he said overall. He means overall defense. Can they improve, improve right. their overall defense? That's more likely. Right. And that's more necessary. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, they're, uh, through two weeks, Kansas City is 31st in defensive DVOA. But, yes, I do think that that can improve because it has in past years. They've been right. better in past years. Um, they can get to, like, 18th. Yeah. And that's kind of where they – They'll be happy at 18th if it's structured in a way where they're getting takeaways and they're getting the stops in that sort of fast break style that, that the Chiefs play. Right. As long as they're still the number one offense, then they can be like 18th in defense and be a Super Bowl contender. No, I mean, would they want it to be better? Sure. They want to have a top five defense. Everybody does. But um, I don't think it's I don't think it's likely that they would, but they could definitely get up to average or slightly below average. Uh, Jay step away for one minute. I'm afraid I'll be right back. Jmol9994 says, "Doesn't it feel like the Wonderkind coordinators, Staley and Arthur Smith, are fitting square pegs into round holes scheme-wise? It definitely it. feels that way with Staley. Like he doesn't have the guys to run his scheme yet. Yeah, it's year one too. It takes time to get the guys into running the scheme. We talked. I wrote about this with the Jets chapter a lot. Like you have to do, make do with what you have. You can't remake your entire team and your image after one year." And I think Stanley maybe could be doing a little bit of a better job using this, using the uh, players he currently has, but th th this is always, there's always an awkward transition when someone new comes in. That's why defensive coordinators and new defense coaches never see that huge jump in DVOA year one that everyone expects. Right. I mean, it's rare. It happens, yeah. but it's rare. I mean, I think Arthur Smith, see, I don't think Arthur Smith needs Derrick Henry to make his because I don't think you need Derrick Henry to make the other team jump at the play action. I think they'll jump at the play action fine for Mike Davis. I mean, I, I got, the way I put it is the run was established when we were in high school. You don't need to reestablish it. Not, not, like you could have an average running back and teams are still going to jump at your play fakes. Uh, I think that, I mean, the, I think Atlanta's problems are a little over, over, estimated because Ryan threw the two pick sixes at the end of the game when the right. game was pretty much over. I would, right. He's not going to do the that. The offensive line everybody. problems are real, but I think overall the, the, the people are a little too pessimistic about it. So I don't think we got your pick, Brian, for a Kansas City minus six and a half. What's your pick there? I, I feel like this is going to be one of those uh, Patrick Mahomes destroy our worlds kind of games where after, <laughs> you know, after the tight loss last week, he's just going to come out and like, I'm, okay, I'm going to throw for 500 yards. Then my defense can't blow this one for me. I think it, this really feels like a game that he's going to destroy things, especially right, if Bosa and James are end up being banged up. We all certainly like Kansas City to win. Again, home field advantage doesn't seem to matter much anymore, but they are the home team on top of everything else. Yeah. Uh, the other thing that doesn't seem to matter much anymore, by the way, is the Western teams playing at one o'clock yeah. Eastern, which was a thing for a while, and the last four or five years hasn't been. 
Yeah, it feels like they, they, they've wisened up to, you know, staying on the East Coast or doing whatever they need to do to change their schedule to help. And odds makers have priced that in, I think, awesome. to yeah. the odds. So teams aren't covering more often if they're uh, Eastern teams at home against the Pacific Time Zone team at 1 o'clock. Uh, let's go to the biggest game of the 4 p.m., the really big game, the really like about as big as it can get early on. And that is Tampa Bay at the Los Angeles Rams. These are two of the top teams in DVOA, numbers two and three, and in Dave, numbers one and three. So I, I ran two sets of playoff odds here. Okay. The Rams make the playoffs 82% when they win and 61% when they lose. Mm. They make the Super Bowl 16% when they win and wow. 8% when they lose. <laughs> Tampa Bay makes the playoffs 97% of the time if they win. <laughs> and they make the Super Bowl 41% of the time if they win, 31% if they lose. They are our number one team in the Dave ratings, right? I mean, they are they're they super, look super. They're fantastic on both sides of the ball. They have fantastic depth, which will be tested this week, by the way. Antonio Brown is going to be out with COVID. And Jason Pierre-Paul is going to be out with some kind of a shoulder injury. So we'll see a lot of Joe. Joe, Joe Tyron. Shaniqua. Yes. And Scotty Miller. Like, oh, no, we have to go to those two guys who would start on X percentage. We have to go to our first round pick. Yeah. And the guy who was like second or third in receiving DVOA last year as the fourth receiver. Right. Oh, they're also going to be short Sean Murphy Bunting, which might actually mattering more. That may actually matter. Although I am, yeah. I like Ross Cockrell. Ross Cockrell had a couple of years with great stats. Uh, I realize cornerback stats are very inconsistent. Right. But uh, it's interesting because I think an interesting question about this game is who covers Cooper Cup? Is Cockrell yeah. the slot guy and he covers Cooper Cup? Or do they go, okay, Cooper Cup is probably their number one target right now. We want to put Carlton Davis on him. Or do they also, put Jamel Dean on him and put Carlton Davis on Robert Woods? Also, who covers up? Who covers Cup where he lines up? Because he, yeah. they've been moving him all around the field. He's been he's been slot. He's been out wide. He's lined up in the backfield a number of times and caught yeah. some passes. It's, it's been really fun to watch McVay use Cup all over the field, more than he's done in recent years. The possibility of saying we'll live with an 8-1-51 game from Cooper Cup unless you beat us with anything else in the world is also in play here. Um, we, I'm trying to get updates on Daryl Henderson's status. He's got a shoulder injury, I believe it is. He didn't was, practice yesterday. They practice yesterday. The optimistic he'll play, I believe the words they used. I, I spent three years listening to the Todd Gurley press conferences about yeah. optimistic he'll play and things like that. And, of course, they haven't practiced yet because it's only like whatever a.m., uh, out there in, in LA, but uh, we might be seeing a lot of Sony this game. I think we know what we get with Sony. He's fine. If you've got a lead, you're just trying to munch, munch, munch. So, uh, you know, Cooper cup, I think he's going to, he'll get his opportunities there. Maybe Woods will too. When you go to that depth of possibilities, that's where the Buccaneers just shine in this game where, yeah, the fourth, fifth option is Scotty Miller or whatever. And your third or fourth pass rush option is a first round pick who looks like he, you know, he's, Two steps faster than in the preseason. All right. I mean, that's the preseason, obviously, but looked really good in the preseason. And he hasn't been able to get on the field in the regular season. I've been watching, like, here's his five snaps or whatever, and he's like terrorizing the poor, the poor Falcons offensive line. But it's like, yeah, but we didn't need him much because we've got this guy, this guy, this guy, so we didn't play much. Like, oh, okay, that that must be nice. 
The, uh, the Rams are fourth against tight ends so far this year, although they have allowed more yards than average because they've allowed more passes than average to tight ends. So I wonder if Gronk, the, the new suddenly like back to Hall of Fame status, Gronk might be slightly contained. Hmm, I don't know. Andy Dalton and Cole Komet, Carson Wentz, and who's the tight end there now? Is it Ebron still? Uh, it's oh, uh, uh Sorry, what's his name with the T? Why am I? Oh, Doyle. Jack Doyle is the main tight end. Jack Doyle, who's been there, I think, since Peyton Manning. Yeah, this is this one's coming in a little faster, uh, uh, Rams defense. This one will be a little harder for the Rams. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> yeah. Without John, now that John Johnson is in Cleveland, and yeah, um, SDW911 asks about our thoughts on the Rams offensive line running versus Tampa's excellent defensive line and their excellent run defense. The uh, running run blocking has looked good enough, but it's been a rotating cast of uh, of running backs. So I think they could be okay. I don't know what Sony's bringing to the table. The the best runs I saw was Henderson to jitterbugging and getting these finishes for big yards for the Rams. And you don't see a lot of that super creative Sean McVay running game that you saw a couple of years ago, where there's a lot of motion to the left and then they're running it to the right and counters and things like that. A little more static than it used to be. And so I think that might be, I got Matthew Stafford now. I can just line up five wide or line up in, in this particular formation and he's going to diagnose and go. But what you lose from that is some of these things where it's like, oh, they're going to open up things and make things easier for their running backs with some sort of you know creative formation, motion, et cetera. Yeah, McVay's just enjoying the fact that you can boot left and throw 20 yards downfield as opposed to boot left and dump it all off to whoever you're running right. back in a week. Right. Tampa Bay, number one so far, stuffing running backs for a loss or no gain on 34% of carries. How many? 34%. Oh, my God. Yeah. Yeah. And um, the Rams are the Rams are third in adjusted line yards, and they've only been stuffed on 10% of carries, which is second in the league. So, okay. Yeah. yeah. Which makes sense because if you think about the way you have to play against the Rams, you don't normally stuff a lot of guys in the box no. against them and stuff carries. No, no, you're back a little bit more often. But, you know, that's a draw or a leaning towards the Buccaneers, I think, overall in this when you factor in that the Rams are down to probably their third or fourth option. I have Daryl Henderson in a fantasy league, and even um, even if he does play, I'm a little scared to play him against the Tampa Bay run defense. And if he does play, it could be one of these things where he gets six carries and Sony gets eight carries, and then you're throwing a million times. Yeah, I was going to say Henderson could be a good loser league pick, except he might pull the penalty because they're going to yep. split, split the yep. workload between the two of them, so neither of them may be a good pick. Yeah. Uh, Tampa Bay's running game, by the way, has been really good so far. Tampa Bay is first in adjusted line yards through two games. Hmm. But they have no open field yards. They have had no runs go over 10 yards. Wow. That's Ronald so, Jones and Leonard Fournette in Cox. That's good blocking. This? <laughs> that's some good blocking. That's some good blocking. The Rams' run defense has not been good so far this year. Cue uh, argument about Aaron Donald versus the run. I guess. Oh, no. Let's uh, not cue that. Let us not cue that argument. All right. Please. So this game, the line is, last time I saw was Tampa Bay by one. I here's the play I because I don't like the line. I, I would probably take Tampa Bay. I don't necessarily want to sit around and, and, and worry gambling wise about Tom Brady. Here's a play I found that I like. It's a special on DraftKings. Matthew Stafford and Tom Brady 
to combine for over 599.5, so 600 passing yards. Brady and Stafford combined over 600 passing yards at plus 105. I'm leaning toward it. What do you think? Hmm. I don't know. These defenses are good. They they might keep them below that. I think hmm. uh, I'll have to look up here what um, what Scott's uh, projections are for the two quarterbacks. But yeah. these are good. Uh, these are good defenses. Now the the. the uh, I'm a little bit. Uh, I think I might take the over on that. It depends. It depends really much on how. It depends on how much you really think that Ross Cockrell is going to be a downgrade from Sean Murphy Bunting, and Carlson He's Davis has been a little banged up, and Jamel Dean didn't have a great day. You you can you can talk yourself into that. I think He's right. got Brady and Stafford combined at five ninety five. So <laughs> great. They called him. They called Scott before. So that's they not. Yeah, that doesn't tell you which side to go on that bet. I, but I can see like a Stafford 380 playing catch up or 390 and then Brady at like you know, 240 because that's what he did there. And then you get you get over. That's what I like about the pick. It insulates you. If, if this is crazy fourth quarter catch up stuff and you're getting garbage time production, either quarterback, but probably Stafford, you're going to swallow it up and possibly go over. Well, well if you think Stafford is going to be the one with garbage time production, then you probably feel pretty strongly about tacking Tampa Bay with only one point. Yeah, it's one point five by now, but it is one point five now. Yeah, I just don't, I just don't like betting on the Buccaneers. What I'm interested in seeing is Stafford hasn't really been pressured at all to this point in the season, and yeah. Tampa Bay is gonna is gonna bring so it's gonna is gonna get to him a little more often. I'm thinking as well as the Rams line has been playing, so that if Stafford can handle that, I I kind of like the Rams to pull the upset in this one. Maybe that's just okay. pessimism as a fan of the NFC West because everyone's going to go like 16-0 and, and, you know, <laughs> it's going to be a bloodbath out there. I but guarantee I, you nobody in the NFC West is going to finish 16-0. and 0. I just say finish. I said go. 16-0-1. Yeah, there you go. Um, I like Tampa Bay. I mean, I, I feel like I'm riding Tampa Bay till it stops. Like until right. they have too many injuries, they're the best team in the league right now. Right. Um, you know, as, as much as I like Kansas City and I like Mahomes, Tampa Bay is the best overall all-round team in the league right now. And I'm I'm driving Tampa Bay until until they have too many injuries to drive them. And I don't think any home any team has got home, home field advantage enough to make it not worth picking them. I agree. I agree. At, at only one point. So I would put well, I guess it's one and a half now. Yeah. But I, I would still go Tampa Bay. I would go Tampa Bay minus one and a half on this game. Okay. Um, fourth game we've got to discuss. Uh, let's go into Brian's wheelhouse with Green Bay at San Francisco. The Packers make the playoffs 74% of the time if they win and 53% with a loss. The 49ers, 85% with a win, 65% with a loss. You'll notice it's this is mostly most of these teams, there's a 20% difference between the win and the loss. There's right. a couple that are a little different than that. But we'll we'll get to two teams that have a, a bigger playoff where the playoffs are, are more on the line in a second. But uh, let's talk about Green Bay and San Francisco first. Like Brian, you're you've watched the first two San Francisco games. I think people would be shocked if I told them that San Francisco was fifth right now in passing DVOA. If you listen to talk radio, the Niners are 0-4, and they have all their best starters <laughs> on the bench, and Kyle Shen doesn't know what he's doing, and everything's disaster, everything's on And Garoppolo's got a QBR of six. Yeah. yeah. Jimmy, 
I think the Eagles game especially showed why uh, the Niners would trade three first round picks to find Jimmy Garoppolo's replacement mm-hmm. and why they don't feel like it's a huge rush to get that replacement in there. Mm-hmm. Garoppolo often gets called a game manager and I believe last week was the most game manager game we've seen from him in quite some time. It's impressive that he took no sacks against the Philadelphia uh, pass rush that was getting there. It's impressive yeah. that he threw no interceptions. He didn't try anything downfield at any <laughs> point. The Niners went three and out on their first three drives. That had never happened in the Kyle Shanahan era before. And then after the first 26 minutes, they kind of clicked into another gear. They had two 90-plus yard drives and just mm-hmm. stomped the throat down. And So it's like, okay, we can win like this. We don't necessarily need Trey Lance in there right now. It, but it's, it's a weird holding pattern because everyone is just waiting for the switch to be made. It feels like this Niners team we're seeing right now is not going to be the Niners team we see at the end of the year. And everyone's just kind of like twiddling their thumbs and waiting, like, when is it going to happen? What, what, what's going on? They have to believe that sitting is helping Lance improve. Yeah. Yes. He, he, yeah. They believe one of two things. Either they believe Garoppolo truly is better than Lance right now, mm-hmm. or they believe that the amounts that Lance would it's okay okay to sacrifice Lance being a little bit better than Garoppolo if it improves Lance down the road, which again, like we've never found evidence that that's true or not true. That sitting as a quarterback helps you when you finally come in, be better. There's no evidence. Like we've never found evidence that that's true. And we've never found evidence that it's not true. I think you think Garoppolo is safer right now. I think that's the thing. And you didn't need to bring out, high variance thing against like the Eagles because the Niners were always favored in that one that you didn't need the high variance against the Lions that might change this week the Packers have had some serious trouble stopping the run game historically against Shanahan but all the running backs are hurt so maybe this is when you start bringing out that Russian quarterback in packages and make in giving them another look something they haven't been able to uh, defend historically so maybe this is the week we start seeing some uh, some more Lance. I'm not basing that on anything but me wanting to see that. But <laughs> maybe, maybe now you start working that in a little bit more. Yeah, there were some throws. A couple of times Garoppolo like, was trying to throw along the sidelines about 15 yards. He's overthrowing Sanu. I think he overthrew Debo at one point. And like, this is rough. And yet at the same time, if you're distributing the ball, getting rid of it all the time, you're going to win a bunch of games against Eagles-level opponents, against Lions-level opponents there. My reminder to everyone is that Lance also is not Justin Fields, is not Mac Jones, was not playing at a high level last year at a major conference. He basically had a gap year. We've seen Trey Lance throw a total of, I guess, 50 passes since 2019. Since 2019, and it was preseason passes or a glorified scrimmage, the one game they had last year. So the idea, like, this guy's in a different scenario. He's in a different bin than those other guys. It makes sense. There's a reason to say, hey, yeah, we're still teaching him this, this, and this. And he just never knew. He didn't have a senior year. And he didn't play in Division One. And we have the luxury of putting the, the night clerk out there and letting him throw screen passes to Kyle Yushik for a couple more weeks. I will say San Francisco so far is top 10 in defense against both one and two receivers. Mm-hmm. So what do you think, Brian, about whether they'll be able to cover Devontae Adams and Marquez Valdez canceling deep? Because going into the season, there certainly were questions about the cornerbacks, but they've played well so far. I've been very impressed with uh, Domador Lenore, the fifth round rookie. He's done a fantastic job. Now, he hasn't faced Aaron Rodgers yet, but but I think he, he he's come in and basically had to be the, the starter because of Jason Barrett getting hurt and whatnot. And he's held up su- surprisingly well. 
Uh, and we're also going to get Emmanuel Mosley back this, this game. So I'm not as concerned with the cornerbacks as I think the general mm. world is. Aaron Rodgers is still going to get his. He's Aaron Rodgers. He's going to, he's going to, I, if I'm Aaron Rodgers and I see a fifth round rookie, I'm attacking him, you know, early and often. But I think they're going to do all right. Because also, Rodgers hasn't been exactly on target with the deep throws. He's got those highlight reel plays, but mm-hmm. he's been a little less on target than we expect to see Aaron Rodgers. So I'm, I think the Niners are going to do okay there. My uh, my Microsoft Word, by the way, has a macro. If I hit Control V, it says Jason Verrett getting hurt and yeah. whatnot. Yes. <laughs> by the way, can you guys hear this? Is this coming through the microphones? No, yes. Okay, it's pretty bit. wild. It's pretty wild around here, and I, I'm going to have to clean something up as soon as this ends with the poor dog. But okay. uh, yeah, the, the the cover. What you saw, I think, both from the Saints and from the Lions, is uh, a lot of too high safeties. I think that's the thing. That's like that's the buzzword. Oh, throw, throw two high safeties against Aaron Rodgers. It'll slow him down. I think it will slow him down. That's perfect for the San Francisco 49ers situation. They do not need the blitz on their front four. They've got Warner and that incredible front four, and they're about seven deep on the front four right now with and guys the, who can play. And, and Elkin Jenkins did not practice yesterday, and he's already replacing um, uh, a Bakhtiari. Right. I don't like the idea of a third-string tackle against Nick Bosa on the line. I don't think that's going to go very well. I, I, I right. do have to say the idea that, like, too high coverage is some kind of kryptonite for Aaron Rodgers. Like, are you saying that too high coverage makes it harder to complete deep passes and invites you to run the ball? For Aaron Rodgers, because I only thought that too high coverage invited you to run the ball and stopped deep passes against every quarterback in the NFL. It's Mahomes' kryptonite too, right? It's like the proper way to play against any great quarterback. It's against Tom Brady for a long time. It was play too high, invite them to run. Play too high, invite them to run. It's like... Right. That's if you don't want to get sliced and diced by a great quarterback, that's usually the way to go. Right. Especially for a team where it's that one receiver where you're always going to have a deep safety on the side of Devontae Adams. You're making the other guys beat you. It's not like there's a, like there's 11 weapons out there. Uh, so it's like, yeah, you're basically saying, well, okay, come beat us with your running back and your running back's very good, but that's different from getting beaten by Aaron Rodgers, which is the worst case scenario. Yeah. I, um, Let's take a side question here before we do the last game. S. Vanderpool, thoughts on the Raiders overall, specifically steal of the draft, cornerback Nate Hobbs. He is a friend of mine. We played sports and went to school together. And he is a dog out there. Awesome. I have no opinion about Nate Hobbs so far, but now I'm going to go and like watch him specifically. <laughs> right, right. I haven't like studied him. I'm trying to look up and see if I have any draft notes on him. But I, I mean, I... Any- I'll say this about the Raiders, which is they are the team in DVOA that is not commensurate with the 2-0 record, right? The top six teams in DVOA are 2-0, and then you have the Raiders all the way down at 19. I wrote about it a little bit this week. Uh, The system doesn't like that they allowed the Steelers to convert some third and longs. It's not that the Raiders are bad. It's just that they came out as being only slightly better than the Ravens and only slightly better than the Steelers, even though the conventional stats make it look like they were a lot better than the Steelers. So I think that the, I'm not, put put it this way, I am a bigger believer in the Carolina defense continuing to do what it's doing than I am in the Raiders defense continuing to do what it's doing, although I don't think either of them is going to end the season as a top five defense. 
One thing I saw that was unusual, because I went looking, I wanted to find an interesting stat for the Raiders for Friday's game previews. And they're like between, you know, ninth and 23rd in like so many splits. Uh, it was odd that I found that their defensive line, uh, adjusted line yards and things of like that were really, really good. And their offensive line adjusted line yards are like bottom of the league. And that's the exact opposite of what I would expect from a Raiders team. It doesn't necessarily jibe with what I thought I was seeing on the field the last two weeks. I know that people like SIS and PFF who measure pass pressure, the Raiders have come out as like bringing more pressure than any other team. Max Crosby has been fantastic early on. Yannick Ngakwe has been really good. Carl Nassib is a useful player. Um, I guess I just, I don't know Nate Hobbs, but I, I'm not a big fan of the secondary for the Raiders. Like as a, like, being able to stay really high in quality for the year. Adding KJ Wright was good though. Right. Like their linebackers look a lot better than they used to now that it's Littleton and KJ Wright as their main two linebackers. Right. Um, but overall, I mean, I feel like the Raiders are still the team I thought they were, which is, I think they're a slightly above average offense. Mm -hmm. Maybe they're a slightly above average defense rather than a slightly below average defense which would make them a better team than I thought they were. But I don't think that's a great defense. Uh, Bill Houston says, do we think Gruden has done a really good job with Carr, especially given how they blew up their offensive line? I mean, I think Carr is underrated. Carr mm -hmm. always plays better than people think he does. Yeah. And they've been working well together now for three years. They've been putting up good numbers, good production. Carr's problem is that he's like, you know, somewhere between the sixth and 10th best quarterback in a league where everyone's got to be elite or terrible. And <laughs> right. so the media is never going to accurately gauge where Carr is. But Carr is like, Kirk Cousins, but better. Right. Right. He like, does the things that we claim that, that Kirk Cousins fans claim he does. We talked yesterday about win because of, win with, and win despite quarterbacks. Yeah. Carr is probably the top of the line of the win with. Right. He's not a win because of. Right. But I don't know if you get better as a win with quarterback right now than what Carr is. There are three quarterbacks this year who have thrown for 300 yards in both games. That's Patrick Mahomes, that's Justin Herbert, and that's Derek Carr. So hmm. that's, that's an interesting uh, company to be in there. Interesting. One the, thing we uh, were talk, talking about the Raiders and about the Chargers, we mentioned the really low probabilities of the Chargers making the playoffs if they lose this week. And the Broncos' schedule is such a factor right now. They're, they have this another silly game this week. They've had two silly games already, and they have the I think they have the easiest schedule of, of those four teams by far moving forward this year. So one of the things you have to deal with when you're if you're a Chargers fan, you're a Raiders fan is you take a loss here, you take a loss there. The Broncos are just going to molly stomp you with all their victories over the Jets and the Jaguars. Yeah, both the Western divisions are not divisions you want to be dropping a lot of games in this year. Right. <laughs> they look pretty stacked. I forgot to do a pick. Let's do picks. San Francisco by three and a half. I would actually take Green Bay with that line. I would take San Francisco to win and Green Bay to cover. Yeah, yeah. two and a half sounds about right to me. I think I think I'll take San Francisco, but it's like since it's going by four instead of a three, it's it's going to be right around that line. I'd stay away. Yeah, it's it's a tough one. I, I checked our our app. I checked the yeah, sports app. It's that line is right there. That's right there. So it's almost like I, I wanted to put a push in there, but it's a half point line right now. So yeah, that's I'm about in the same place as you guys. All right, let's do one more game. Let's go to Monday night. And we'll talk about Monday night again on Monday when I do my show with Ian from Edge Sports. But let's talk Monday night here as well because that's Philadelphia. So we get to have Mike's opinion on what the Eagles have done early on. 
and because this may be the most important game of the week for playoff position because of the fact that it's very unlikely that more than one team from the NFC East makes the postseason. So Philadelphia at Dallas, the Eagles make the playoffs in 46% of Sims where they win and 19% where they lose. The Cowboys make it 68% of the time where they win, 39% when they lose. So that's a 27% swing for the Eagles and a 29% swing for the Cowboys. And it's a, it's a tough matchup. One of the things I'm looking at, Brian, you probably spotted this as well. I think a lot of people spotted it. Eagles offense right now, it's bombs up the sidelines and screen game. There is nothing in the middle of the field right now. And there's a concern. This is a team with two outstanding tight ends, right. et cetera, that, that, that the design of this right now is hurts his comfort zone, those speed receivers, none of whom is like really a middle of the field guy. And they are over-reliant right now on, on, on firing the ball to the edges there. And I feel like that's something the cow, even the cow, even the Cowboys coaches are going to be able to spot and say, this is going to be an easy exploit. We can kind of take these things away. We've got our two safeties and they're very strong at safety right now with the Cowboys actually like three or four deep with good safeties and they can fan them out a little bit more and, and protect those sideline routes and take away a lot of what Jalen Hurts is going to do. It's interesting because this is a weakness that you would think the Eagles can attack. I realize again, it's only two games. Dallas is 25th in DVOA against short middle passes. Mm-hmm. And right, like Jalen Smith and Landon Vander Esch are not as good as we thought they were. Mm-hmm. Should be guys you can take advantage of with those tight ends and the short middle passes. But can Philly do it? Can Philly do it? Is that part of the design? Because Tom Brady is the one who did it so far. That's right. different. <laughs> also, that Zach Ertz is on the COVID list, so he may not be able okay. to play. So that's going to hurt to attack in the middle of the field as well. Uh, I don't know. The, the thing that got me about the Eagles and Niners game, there were openings that, you know, oh, they could like they could get uh, – Hertz made a couple great scrambles, so that's something yes. Niners have always struggled with. Maybe they could adjust to do that. No, they're not going to make any changes to do that. Well, there's right. some opening in the middle of the field. They could target. No, they didn't make any adjustments to do that. It's like, it feels like there needed to be an, an adjustment or a next step made, and I didn't see the Eagles do anything. Right. They didn't do a lot of that. I don't think they're comfortable with it. And you're right. I mean, obviously there were plays where you had what appeared to be – 90 there was a 90 yard splash and you don't get points so it looked like a touchdown along the right sideline that winds up coming back because Jalen Rieger doesn't know where the the, the sideline is etc but the Eagles don't counterpunch in any way and there was really a point in that game where I guess it was it was still like I don't know 11 to 3 or something like yeah. that and it felt like 24 to 3 and that's not a good place to be and then, yeah the Eagles uh, Hargraves is playing lights out right now on defensive tackle him and Fletcher Cox unbelievable at defensive tackle the further you go out in any direction you get less success in that place you know slay is playing decently well the rest of the secondary is kind of okay a lot of places here where the cowboys should be able to i think run the ball effectively and should be able to, to distribute the ball effectively among all their weapons that suggests more pollard than elliot uh derek Klassen wrote in film room today about the difference between pollard and elliot and elliot is the up the middle back and pollard is much better going out wide mm-hmm. so with hargrave and cox playing so well that would be i would think suggest using more Pollard and trying to get to the outside, especially uh, I don't know whether Brandon Graham was ever considered a good run player, but obviously, you know, they're missing their starting defensive end for the rest of the year. So, yeah. Yeah. And I think what most Cowboys fans and football fans and people who love life want to see is more Elliott and Pollard in the same formation. Some of the things. Pony baby. Yeah, and it look and it's great, and it works every time, and then it disappears for a quarter for no reason whatsoever, and then it comes <laughs> back. But yeah, I mean, they can do a lot of that stuff uh, positively, I think, against Philly. 
Here's an interesting question that's not connected to this game. Okay. If you're the Cowboys, do you fire McCarthy and give the head job to Kellen Moore to prevent Kellen Moore from going elsewhere? Oh, no. I, I, my concern is everything that has gone right has been Kellen Moore, and everything that's gone wrong has been McCarthy over the last two years. And before that, everything that went right was Moore, and everything that went wrong was Garrett. And do, we, and, do we believe it's really that, or does Kellen mm -hmm. Moore just have really good contacts in the media to sell him? A little of that, and both of the other guys have reputations coming in. So you're rooting for the young guy who's got all the ideas and, oh, they got this conservative old guy who likes to sit in his barn and pretend he's watching film, go to the sauna and clap and all these other things these guys do. So you have some of that. And I think there might be a media element to that as well. So I'm not, I'm not dishing Kellen Moore. If he gets a head coaching opportunity, I get it. But there might be a little bit of storytelling uh, in this in this guy's uh, success. It's the same thing like the backup quarterback is always the most popular guy in town and when, yeah. when something's happening. The guy who's not in charge. I also want to give props to Trevon Diggs, who's been really improved this year, basically shut down Mike Evans in week one. Not as much shutting down Keenan Allen in week two, but Allen, you know, he caught a lot of his passes on other players. Right. Um, so Trevon Diggs really took a big step forward this, this year. Right. Useful title points out that before everything good was Kellen Moore and everything bad was Garrett, everything yep. good was Garrett and everything bad was Wade Phillips. Yeah. Yep. Yep. So yep, there does seem to be a, 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 a theme in Dallas. 20 years, it's always the redheaded coordinator. 20 years from now, it's Cooper Rush. Cooper Rush is the guy uh, who's making everything happen, and whoever the head coach is, is, is a nitwit. So let's do one more pick for the week. So Dallas is favored by four, and the official Football Outsiders premium pick on this from FO Plus is no pick. <laughs> Thank you. Thank so you. if I force you to make a pick, Dallas minus four, who do you go with? I'm going Dallas minus four on this. I think that they're going to take it. I got my eye also on the first quarter where I believe they're minus 0.5. Cowboys have scored 21 first quarter points already. They are very good. When Kellen Moore's script is in play, they can, they march right down the field against opponents. So that's something I'll probably look at on Monday night where I like playing first quarter overs and things. But I'm going to go with the Cowboys in this game. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I, I did not. I was not impressed. I thought I saw him get Philadelphia last week. I'm going Dallas too. I, I'm going to make it all three of us. If I had to choose between Dallas minus four and Philly plus four, I would go with Dallas minus four. And I like your first quarter play. That'll be fun. Yeah. Yeah. All right. That does it for our week three preview show. I want to thank everybody for joining us. Remember twitch.tv slash FB outsiders 1 p.m. Eastern every day. Tomorrow, it'll be Scott Spratt and guest talking sit-start and DFS advice for the weekend. We're here Monday through Friday. We're on YouTube. We're on podcast apps. Please rate our podcast if you listen to us through a podcast app. Thank you to Brian Knowles for joining us for this week's previews. Thank you again to Mike Tanier slash Tanier, as always. And I hope everybody enjoys this weekend's games. I know I, I'm going to enjoy the big, big... Uh, big games this weekend <laughs> and uh i will see you guys all next monday at one o'clock and scott will see you all tomorrow right here at one o'clock have a good night folks <laughs>